Good morning and welcome to episode 937 of Effectively Wild, a daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index, BaseballReference.com, and our Patreon supporters. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Hi, Ben. Hi. How are you? Doing all right. Okay. <laughs> In an enthusiastic answer, do you have a, a reason for that, or are you just doing all right? No, I'm just doing all right. All right. You excited for the weekend? Next weekend? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Have you been mentioning this in, in, at the end of the show after I hang up? Have you been mentioning this or is this going to be news no, to people? No, I haven't. We are. I've mentioned that we're both going to Sabre Seminar next weekend, which is now sold out. But the Baseball Nerd Conference in Boston every year, it's always great. But this year we are both attending and the plan tentatively is to do the first ever live episode of Effectively Wild. Yeah. This is, I don't know. Have we figured out what that means, though? Like We have not. It's live for the people who are there. Right. It's not for live. people listening, it will be recorded, as always. It, right. Okay. So this will be like a, a second-tier Olympic sport where... <laughs> Uh, if you're in the stadium, yeah, you get to see it. Otherwise, you have to wait until NBC loads it. Tape delay, yeah. Okay. And what are we going to do? We have not discussed that. No, we haven't, have we? No, I don't know. All right, great. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's see here. War Road, Minnesota. Yeah. Got a couple follow-ups. Yeah, not only is it in Minnesota in mm-hmm. uh, February, but War Road is the very, 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 very tip-top of uh, Minnesota. As far as you could go, it is basically right on the border of Canada. So, um, you know, like if you're thinking about Fargo, for instance, mm-hmm. wait, Fargo's in a different state. Fargo's in North Dakota? Yeah. Well, it's much colder than that. Yeah. So somebody read the rules of the contest that we talked about, and it is only open to architects and contractors. So yeah, it is in fact... things a little bit. Well, it is, although it fits into what we suspected of it, which is that it is a perfectly reasonable ad that applies to upwards of 30 listeners like they paid for some thousands of listeners who have zero possible interest in this uh in this promotion or this ad should i play the ad again for people who (laughs) didn't listen to last wednesday's show sure all right and for people who did they probably won't mind hearing this ad again so this is uh an ad that sam has overheard on giants radio broadcast this season what does it take to win Strength, endurance, durability. You've got to be tough. And Integrity Tough Windows are just that. They outlast and outperform the competition. Learn more at IntegrityToughWindows.com and enter for a chance to win a VIP trip to Marvin's Manufacturing Facility in War Road, Minnesota. A guided factory tour, free airfare, hotel, and meals. Only at IntegrityToughWindows.com. So that's, right. yeah, so that's the ad, and uh, it could not possibly be geared toward a smaller... Uh, number of listeners and that's uh, why i love baseball broadcasts that's what that is about my fourth or fifth favorite thing about baseball on the radio yeah so we got two responses to that that i wanted to mention and the great thing about this podcast is that it just seems like whatever we bring up there's someone who is listening or in the facebook group or emails us and knows something about that thing or has some personal experience about that thing there's probably some number 
of listeners, you have to reach for that to be true in most cases, and we have reached it. So Matt Trueblood, longtime listener, baseball prospectus author, has some personal experience of War Road, and he emailed us to say, you wouldn't believe how uninhabitable that place is in February. Three winters ago, there was a week where the wind chills here in the Twin Cities metro area were negative 30 or lower for a week. During that week, it was at least that cold without the wind chill the whole time in War Road. They didn't have a day, not an hour or a minute above zero degrees Fahrenheit for something like six weeks. Ugh. If this thing is really scheduled for February, that's, I can't even, that's not happening. There are plenty of Minnesotans who can't handle War Road in February. <laughs> so, And we also had, we got a, a message from somebody who went on the factory yes, tour. Yes, Jeffrey Goldstone, Facebook group member, says, I made the trip to War Road in 2015 as a guest of Marvin and one of their regional distributors. The 6,000 square foot welcome center was on our agenda, but it was the trips to the manufacturing plant that was the highlight. Okay, it may be something that only those of us who spend our time wondering and worrying about whole unit U-values, leakage rates, expansion coefficients, and SHGCs, look it up, I didn't, would enjoy, but our little group of Vermont architects loved every minute. The trip from the Twin Cities to War Road in one of Marvin's three private planes, yep, they have three, was far better than would have been the long drive, and in February, this could only be more the case. So don't diss the prize. It's a fun trip. Ironically, the Integrity line isn't manufactured in War Road at all. To see them in production, you'd have to go to Fargo. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, I have a question for you, and then we can put War Road behind us for a while. Uh, okay. If if by some if someone entered your name and you won, would yeah. would you go? <laughs> No, I would not. <laughs> I don't think I would go. I think I would go. <laughs> if I could get if I could get uh my uh you know my family to sign off on me going away for a couple of days for no reason. I I like I just like being on a plane alone. I like reading. So I might do it just for that. But yeah, I think I'd go. Yeah, if I could get an article out of it, I might go, but I don't know if I could. Yeah, I don't think you could. <laughs> I could get a podcast banter out of it. That's about it. Um, all right. John Lackey was mad at D. Gordon for bunting in, I think, the third inning of a normal game. <laughs> uh, and I just wanted to bring that up because uh, we talk about unwritten rules and my grand theory of unwritten rules. And this fits in perfectly. I'm not going to go over the grand theory. You should have been listening to episode 85 uh, if you don't know it. But not really 85 either, so don't bother. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, really getting mad at D. Gordon for bunting in a you know normal situation in a normal game is like getting mad at John Lackey for throwing a changeup. It's like, you know, what? however you want to couch it, if you say, ah, it's not sporting or it's not manly or whatever, would all apply to a changeup, in my opinion. Uh, and uh, so I love it. Uh, it's brilliant. I love I love unwritten rules like this for, for just that reason. Brilliant. John Lackey, well done. Uh, and uh, yeah, good. Yeah, so just in a bad mood. Yeah. Uh, all right. I don't know if you saw this, and I it's so outlandish that I assume there was a follow-up tweet immediately after that uh, took all the fun out of it, and so I have not gone back on Twitter for fear of seeing the follow-up tweet. <laughs> Terry Collins said he didn't consider Nimmo for Jay Bruce pinch running last night because, for all he knows, Bruce is faster. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> It's like something he could actually know. You would think he'd know. 
<laughs> like if he'd said because Bruce is faster, well, that might be uh, an unusual opinion. But baseball men have unusual opinions about things all the time. But but even if he said I don't know, like even if he'd been like I honestly I don't know. I I you know Bruce just got here. I haven't had a chance. But to phrase it as for all he knows, for all I know, Bruce <laughs> like is there's no way that he could yeah. possibly determine <laughs> exactly. the answer. <laughs> I love that. I'm gonna read that again. So this is Mike Puma. New York Post, Collins said he didn't consider Nimmo for Bruce pinch running last night because for all he knows, Bruce is faster. <laughs> love that. I love that. Yeah, Greatest really quote. <laughs> all right. Uh, and uh, lastly, I just wanted to give a plug for episode 11 of Sports Writers Blues, which uh, in the middle of it had, a, I thought, a really wonderful and interesting and informative discussion about whether Yasiel Puig will, well, it was whether uh, he will have more or fewer than nine wins above replacement for the rest of his career. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was a really interesting conversation between Pedro and Andy about uh, how each of them knows what they know about Puig uh, and how they can come to really very different positions on him. It was a, just a great conversation. I I just can't, I, I can't tell you how likable Pedro is. Like Pedro seems like the most thoughtful beat writer in baseball right now yeah and i mean there's other skills to mm-hmm. being a beat writer than thoughtfulness but it is one that very few people have i think including you know probably the people on this podcast like thoughtfulness <laughs> is really a an under um represented skill in modern discourse and uh i just like listening to pedro anyway yeah there's no time for thoughts you gotta post the lineup on twitter you got to tweet some play-by-play. I guess there's one more thing I, I saw this weekend that I wanted to mention. There Why was nine a, wins above replacement, by the way? That was just what Pedro set is the over-under. Okay. And uh, Andy took the under. Uh-huh. What, what would you take? I'd take the over. Yeah. All right. One last thing. There was a play overturned by replay review in the A's-Cubs game on, I think, Saturday. And it was like, you know, it was the eighth inning and throw from third base to first base. Anthony Rizzo's feet get a little tangled. His feet come off the bag, but not he's not stretching for it. His feet just come off the bag because he's doing sort of a weird step thing. And the umpire calls the runner uh, safe, even though the throw clearly beats the runner. And Rizzo calls for the replay. They go back. And it, yeah, the play, clearly the runner is beat by probably four inches. But Rizzo's feet are not on the bag. He is not back on the bag. And it is, uh, it, it was weird because the play got overturned, even though it was, it seemed very obvious that it was going to be upheld because his feet were not, they were like clearly not on the bag. It seemed clear that they were not on the bag. I just noticed it because you're like, if you're doing the review, if you're the guy in the, clubhouse who's trying to decide whether to call for a replay or not you would never call for a replay for a review on that like you would look at it and you go oh well that's clear that's definitive there's no way they're going to overturn it uh but because it was after the i think because it was after the seventh inning they didn't have to ask for a review that just happened like they didn't have to use one and so anyway they there was no real loss to it and so they did it and i uh we talk about teams not using their reviews enough on plays that seem to very clearly call for a review that it's really close that you might get it but this one wasn't even close and so now it makes me think that they should be calling for tons of reviews yeah anyway, mm. that's all i agree okay it's a mm. weird call all right all right did you see the andrew miller fireman game no i uh wasn't that like thursday yes it okay was last thursday he came in with two outs in the sixth in a two-run game, the Indians, I think, had a two-run lead. 
and Byron Buxton was due up and it wasn't really a move just to get Byron Buxton. It was because in the seventh, the twins had Brian Dozier and Joe Maurer and Max Kepler coming up, so heart of the lineup. And Miller came in, and I think the Indians ended up winning by seven runs or something, but he came in at a fairly high leverage spot, and uh, the margin ended up being pretty wide, but maybe that was because he held them there. Anyway, it was interesting that that happened, (laughs) that he came in then, and I don't know how much to make of it, because the next time Miller pitched on Saturday, it was your standard save situation. He came in in the ninth with a three-run lead and got the save. So I don't know if it'll be a regular occurrence, but it was notable. Yeah. Did Cody Allen pitch in any unusual way in the game that Miller got the save in? No, it was uh, Kluber went eight and then Miller came in. Ah, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what it means, but they've been... Cody Allen, I, I think, is not really married to the the save spot. I think he's made comments to that effect in the past. And Miller has also. He signed with the Yankees, maybe knowing that he wouldn't get saves or he, he wasn't dead set on getting saves when he signed with the Yankees, I think he said at the time. So maybe these are uh, two good guys to try something experimental with. Okay. All right. Okay. Anything else? Nope. All right, so uh, Alex Rodriguez is maybe retiring from baseball. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What would you put the odds on that he's actually retiring from baseball? 92%. All right. So this is a sort of a, well, it was definitely a forced retirement. He would have kept playing just like he was, it seems, um, if Hank Steinbrenner hadn't pulled him aside and in a very nice way, according to John Heyman's account, uh, told him that uh, he needed to hang it up, that there weren't going to be plate appearances for him anymore, uh, and that he could hang on, travel with the team, and bat once in a while, uh, but that realistically uh, he was not going to be a big part of the team going forward, uh, and that it was probably time. And that if he uh, if he walked away, then he could have a nice retirement in the Yankees organization, uh, as who knows, special assistant or um, ambassador or maybe someday hitting coach. And uh-huh. so, uh, according to Heyman again, who uh, wrote a nice TikTok of this decision, uh, A Rod spent three days um, on this decision and decided that uh, he would uh, walk away. And so, Friday is his last game. And these are basically things that A Rod said at his press conference. All right, not there to you. not to discount Heyman's report, but I was watching the press conference and. A-Rod basically said as much. I think Heyman beat the press conference. Oh, okay. I might be wrong about that. Okay. Who cares? Yeah, it <laughs> doesn't matter. The information's uh, out there one way or another. So, no, I don't think he, I don't think he did beat the press conference anyway. There's a photo of the press conference. <laughs> okay. That, <laughs> on the article. He's that good. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alex Rodriguez, probably the best player between Barry Bonds and Mike Trout? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pujols is the only other one with an argument. Mm -hmm. And also, maybe the least popular. Uh, You know, I mean, really, I think in a way that probably most of the write-ups of Alex Rodriguez will focus on in the next few days. Uh, He was a player who was incredibly good, and particularly his, I think, his early career, his age 20, 21, 22 seasons, are really outlandish from a historical perspective. He was, you know, Mike Trout before yeah. Mike Trout. But I think a lot of the focus is going to be on what a sort of 
tragedy his career was in a sense uh, that you could be this good that you could be the greatest player of your generation that you could be you could be one of the few phenoms who lives up to any possible expectation of what your career is going to be and yet be so unpopular and seemingly uh, so unhappy through it all uh, and I don't know that any of us writers who are going to write those pieces is necessarily qualified uh, to do a uh, you know rich psychological accounting of A-Rod's emotional state through 20 years. Uh, but it is a, definitely a f- sort of a feeling of, of loss when you think about uh, the way that his career went, and for what seem like fairly petty reasons. And therefore, it, I think, behooves us to ask ourselves the question of where A-Rod went wrong, and whether there is anything about A-Rod's career that Mike Trout and Bryce Harper should be learning from, if you think that's fair. Mm-hmm. So when I wrote about Mike Trout as a 20-year-old for ESPN, the magazine, at the tail end of his uh, rookie summer, I wrote, This year may be as good as it gets for Trout. He still may improve as a player, but baseball fans abhor an unchangingly positive narrative and have a hard time dealing with middle age. Ultimately, many will find reasons to dislike him. Overhyped, overrated, overpaid, overexposed, overconfident. In the past 30 years, only two players were nearly as successful when they were as young as Trout. Both went on to Hall of Fame level careers and both ultimately let fans down. Alex Rodriguez couldn't stay likable and Ken Griffey Jr. couldn't stay exciting. Trout's rookie year is historic, but his legacy is still many, many years from being safe. And uh, Trout, five years later, four years later... Uh, is has actually managed to avoid even a single bad day from a public relations perspective. I would say the closest maybe was he had a very, very brief and very, very unserious tension with the Angels over them renewing his, his contract at the Major League Minimum, I think, in 2013. Mm-hmm. And really, that's it. And so he is... He's only 25. He just turned 25 on yeah, he's, Sunday. He's only 25, but there's nothing about Trout that would suggest that he's going to let us down <laughs> or that we're going to let him down. He seems to be perfectly content to stay the kind of younger brother figure in baseball for now. Uh, Harper is a bit different. Harper had some of A-Rod's ambition, some of his flash, uh, and... Uh, some of what would be described as arrogance. Um, And for the most part, Harper has stayed very popular because Harper has been very fun. But do you think that there are uh, lessons that they can take from A-Rod, who also, I would say, at this stage in his career, was generally seen as very popular, very fun? Yeah, right. I mean, don't sign the biggest contract ever. Yeah, so that's a that's like a really good question because like Tiger Woods for instance was it seemed like even more popular because of how much he was making as a young golfer with Nike. I didn't he sign the biggest I think he signed the biggest endorsement deal ever with Nike which for a golfer is kind of your salary. Uh and that just added to how big a deal he was. I mean, Tiger yeah. Woods was popular up until he crashed his car, right? Yeah, sure. And, of course, Michael Jordan. Everybody knew Michael Jordan was the biggest, the most lucrative, the most uh, highly paid athlete in the world. And he never stopped being popular or stopped being influential, right? Right. Of course, both of those guys had something that A-Rod also lacked, which was a reputation for being just incredibly clutch, incredibly tough, 
if Tiger had a lead on a Sunday, he wouldn't lose it. If Jordan was at death's door, he would still play and score 40 points. And A-Rod had the opposite reaction, which was that, I don't know, he just put up numbers when it didn't matter and he choked in the playoffs. When did that, when do you feel like that narrative picked up around him? Because of course he wasn't making the playoffs with the Rangers. Right. And I, I think that's part of it probably is the fact that he was putting up those enormous numbers for, and, you know, winning an MVP award for teams that weren't contending, which is a really unfair thing <laughs> to hold against a guy. He did as well as he possibly could have done with the Rangers. His his three years in Texas were amazing, and it's not his fault that there was no team around him except for the fact that he was making so much money, which maybe made it harder for there to be a team around him, and maybe some people held that against him. So I think maybe he, you know, he's hitting 52 homers, 57 homers for just terrible teams. So like what, the 2002 Rangers won 72 games and A-Rod hit 57 homers and 2003 Rangers, he won the MVP award and they won 71 games. So I guess that was maybe the beginning is just that, you know, like Jeter, the guy who he was always compared to was winning World Series and playing in the postseason every year. And here was A-Rod with the really flashy stats, but they didn't count in the sense that, you know, people think of stats only counting if you actually win. So I, the, get, this is going to be a pattern, but and almost anything you can say about why A-Rod is hated, you can say about the same the same facts about somebody who is beloved. And like, okay, so A-Rod played for a bad Rangers team and Felix Hernandez has played for a bad Mariners team. And in a way, it seems like that has made him more beloved that people were, Mm -hmm. you know, people really want to see Felix finally get a chance to be in the postseason. And Ernie Banks, like, you know, Ernie Banks's fame is based on, you know, three things. And one of them is never being on a good team. So A-Rod was very good in the postseason for the Mariners uh, Mm -hmm. in, you know, basically three series. And then he went to New York, and in fact, I I assumed it was there that the reputation immediately took hold. But in his first division series, he had a 12-13 OPS. In his first league championship series, he had an 8-95 OPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then it really was in. It wasn't until he had already been fairly clutch for New York that he sort of stopped hitting in the postseason, and it was really one, two, it was two postseason series. It was two division series. And I guess it was very bad timing that the Yankees got bounced from three division series in a row. And it felt like that was the, you know, the end of this run where they were the World Series favorites. Like almost like against the field, it felt like they were the favorites up until 2003. And then they just started losing. And that so to get bounced in three straight division series and for him to be, you know, more or less completely absent from them, I guess would be significant. I don't really know that there's a way that you can strategize around that. I mean, he hit in the postseason. <laughs> like, like that's if you look at his career, he was a postseason hitter who hit well. Like that's yeah. It's hard to say. Well, not only do you have to hit well in the postseason, but you have to um, uh, you have to make sure that it's organized nice and tidy so that nobody can ever find a bad week even to pin on you. Yeah, and he, I think he had the misfortune of joining the Yankees in 2004. So he joins the Yankees and 
he was perceived to have a down year. I mean, he was between MVP seasons then, or he was coming off an MVP season. No one knew that he was between them yet. And he had his worst offensive season since, you know, he was 21 or so. So that kind of fed into this idea that maybe he couldn't handle New York or he was not, you know, he didn't perform as well in New York when it mattered as he did in Texas when it didn't matter. And now that I look, like, Baseball Reference has that as, like, a eight-win season almost, I guess, because of <laughs> defense, because it really wasn't that amazing an offensive season. But, you know, that was a down year for him, and he was great. But I think that was maybe part of it. And you mentioned Felix. I think the difference there is that Felix stayed in Seattle. He signed the extension. He was the one guy who didn't leave for someone else's money, and A-Rod did. I see. Okay, so yeah, so being a mercenary and going to a last place team is yeah. is worse. That makes sense. Particularly because of the misguided um assessment of the Rangers years that he was that even the Rangers came to believe that he and his salary was part of the problem, which is crazy. But yeah. to go to a last to go to a team that to take the highest contract in history and go to a team that then loses, I mean that is something that like almost everybody is rooting for like even even with athletes we like i think we sort of root sometimes for like them to lose because it's more interesting mm-hmm. if that makes sense and so then for for him to go to a team where they completely fulfilled that desire to root against him yeah. made it made it pretty easy and 2004 his first year with the yankees was the year that the red sox finally won and finally beat the yankees and you can't really blame him for that because he had a fine alcs but he was there (laughs) when it happened so it was bad timing on his part i think if he had not agreed to play third base for the yankees and if he had made a big deal out of it and say i don't know jeter had moved to second or something to accommodate him is there any way that that would have i guess what i'm saying is that it feels weird that his agreeing to go to third didn't get him any points at all yeah I and mean, it should i wonder have. yeah I, no and i gave so, him points so since that. it since it didn't you mm-hmm. wonder whether in fact our culture maybe values some other quality that if he had held and ben, like if he had made, I don't know. I don't really know. I don't really know how to say it. I think maybe Yankees fans just never would have even occurred to them that Jeter would be the one to move. Yeah. Because he was, you know, the captain by that point. But so. hadn't, did, hadn't A-Rod won the gold glove the year before? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, the two years well, before. Yep. People still thought Jeter was a good shortstop, though. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. That was a... That was a debate I remember having just like in eighth grade or, you know, in high school, like, who do you want, A-Rod or Jeter? And I always said A-Rod because he was putting up ridiculous stats. And I remember having a, a that argument with my friend Andrew, just back and forth, back and forth, just yeah. the, the typical intangibles versus gaudy stats. I guess the the kind of point that I was trying to make or the feeling that I have is that maybe by agreeing to go to third... He set himself up forever to be subservient to Jeter and that it would never be his town. It would never be his team. He would always be the, you know, the mercenary kind of or the, you know, the guy who was brought in to help Jeter. And Uh you could, I don't know, you could maybe imagine a different world where he, I don't know, by fighting to 
be the leader of that team, he would have earned more respect from people who saw him as something other than just, you know, a guy that goes around being paid a lot to be good at baseball. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah, maybe it is the sort of thing where, I mean, in the short term, I'm sure people would have criticized him and said he was selfish and who is he to come in here and make Jeter move, the guy with all the World Series rings. But yeah, maybe in the long term, people would have had a grudging respect for him sort of holding on to his turf. Did the PEDs change how much people disliked him or was that already pretty well established in your opinion? It definitely changed it. Certainly outside of New York, I think by that time he already had the reputation for choking in the postseason. What was the what was the first time that he confessed or was caught in the lie? What year was that? Was it 2009? 2009. February 2009. Okay. I think, right. So by that time, he was coming off the 2005, 2006, 2007 ALDS. He was fine, really. But it was, you know, like 2006 ALDS, 2005 ALDS. So he had that reputation, even though he won an MVP in 2005 and then won another MVP in 2007. I mean, I, you know, I was amazed just watching him in those years. He was the best player I had ever watched on a regular basis. But yeah, I think that the PED stuff definitely made him less popular. He wasn't beloved, I don't think, in the way that you would expect a two-time MVP for your team to be, but that definitely hurt. So everybody disliked him already. And, you know, and Serena Roberts was able to write a, you know, a book that was essentially a, you know, an extremely critical hit job on him. And, and like, that was who he was as a public persona. But we've seen, I think we see, especially in baseball, probably in all sports, that when you get older, you take on a different place in the public imagination. And uh, if you just make it to old age, generally you start to look wise, people love you. And you get all sorts of kind of reassessments of your personality. And I guess uh, it's easy to think, well, everybody already hated A-Rod in 2009. So probably the PEDs didn't matter that much. But I would bet that they they prevented the reassessment. That while we think of A-Rod and, and while Andy McCullough, <laughs> for instance, painted this picture of A-Rod as this kind of goofball hero. I don't know. Goofball hero doesn't seem right. I don't know what does seem right. But while there is a general, generally positive feeling of A-Rod among, I think, people that we follow on Twitter, that's very much the minority opinion. And mm -hmm. A-Rod did not get the, the middle age bump that would be expected of a player of his stature reaching a certain age. Yeah, especially because in 2009, he was a monster in the postseason. He was amazing. Right, yeah. And yeah, so coming on, uh, coming after the revelations that he was a PED user, instead of that completely clearing away the no clutch reputation that he had, and now he is a player without flaws, it just, you know, it came at a point where it was almost impossible for anybody to start liking A-Rod. Yeah, like Bonds, right? Who had the same reputation for choking and then hit fine, but by that time he had kind of poisoned the well. So some bad decisions, some bad timing, a uh, general lack of generosity from the public. But if you're Bryce Harper, what are the... I mean, look, Bryce Harper is going to go for the biggest contract ever. 
Sure. Uh, he is going to be going for it with great pride. It is probably something that he aspires to uh, and that he will see as a uh, signifier that he has made it in this sport. And you could imagine that going either way. So how do you, if you're Bryce Harper and you get a half a billion dollars, how do you keep it from being the thing that derails your happiness for 15 years? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, well, you you don't cheat, I guess, would be a, a nice start. And you don't lie about cheating. That would also help. I think, I, I mean, A-Rod just always, it's partially his persona, just the way that he kind of always seemed like he wanted everyone to like him and he just didn't seem as confident or as comfortable in his skin as you would expect this superstar, you know, inner circle Hall of Fame type talent to be. And every now and then he would do something on the field that seemed to confirm that, whether it was the the slap play or the the ha when he shouted ha. Oh my <laughs> <he> gosh. Was... <laughs> so that's a I forgot about yes, we talked about this with Andy too. Like that yeah. to me is like the Perfect example of no matter what A-Rod did from a certain point on, yeah, it wasn't going to work. Because like yeah. that is such a small thing. Or and running this, across Dallas Braden's mound. Yeah, that one didn't really stick to him, though, because Dallas Braden was such a, you know, like, <laughs> Dallas Braden turned into the heel, I think, in that yes, one. Yes, I think that's true. But, yeah, like, the slap, it like, the, it's not, like, again, like, I think I said this when we talked about it the first time, but it's not as though, like, he was, like, trying to engage in some sort of, like, sneaky subterfuge that, like, nobody was going to, like, he slapped the ball in front of everybody and this the glove in front of everybody and if there's a rule against that then they call you out like sure like what was he doing just trying to win he was like like he just instinctively was like whoa whoa there's a oh don't tag me and like that's it like i don't and yet somehow like that is like to me that is the baseball equivalent of al gore invented the internet Uh like just i hear it so much and it's just yeah. not a thing. It's not a like that's not a thing at all. But that's that's A Rod. Yeah. And I think A Rod would have been better off if he had had Bryce Harper's reputation for being brash or too cocky. I mean, maybe there was some arrogance was part of A Rod's reputation, but really it was that he was too sensitive or he was too eager to please or he was too polished or too something. Too pretty. And Don't you think it's too pretty? Yeah, that's probably part of it. Well, I mean, that didn't hurt Jeter any though. But Jeter's not actually pretty though. Jeter has mm, Jeter pretty, pretty. has no Jeter has nice eyes, but Jeter is <laughs> Jeter has a sort of a, a, a like an asymmetry in his face. Jeter Jeter is not a conventionally handsome man. Yeah, not to the same extent that A Rod was, I guess. I mean, right? A Rod is like really A Rod is gorgeous. Like A Rod, A Rod is that Ronaldo thing. Yeah, right? like what? Well, yeah, I mean, he's I guess his whole persona is sort of Ronaldo-esque, but I think that's something that probably helps Harper and Trout in avoiding the A-Rod scenario, just because Trout is just, you know, he's just like a aw shucks, gee whiz guy who likes meteorology and says neat and never says anything controversial in any way. So that probably hurts him as a superstar or as a guy who gets endorsement deals but it probably helps him, you know, stay out of the public eye for bad reasons. And then Harper just is perceived to, and probably to some degree does, have this attitude and this chip on his shoulder or, you know, sense of entitlement, whatever it is. And that 
is probably something that I mean it, it definitely annoys people and you know people will say oh Bryce Harper he doesn't play the game the right way or whatever but everyone sort of respects that more I think than they do A-Rod's persona so will he make the Hall of Fame I mean certainly not via the current method via the BBWA voting I guess we'll just have to see what happens with the new veterans committee and whether that will be the way that some of the the steroid users kind of slip in who didn't get elected. So, you know, if that happens, if guys like Bonds and Clemens end up getting in kind of through the the back door of the Veterans Committee, then A-Rod certainly belongs in that group. But I can't imagine him doing any better in the voting than those guys did. So the only reason that I can imagine him doing better in the voting, besides the, you know, the demographics of just people in six years, there will be uh, more turnover of the voters. Uh, and young voters seem to care less about this. But the other thing is that, I and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think anybody has been eligible yet who was ever suspended for using drugs, who ever, you know, basically played uh, in the era where there was a method for disciplining players who were caught and uh-huh. where you could serve your time. And so in some sense, it's maybe it's disproportionate, but in some sense, this is how you hold Bonds and Clemens accountable because... The league never was able to or never did. A-Rod, on the other hand, at least for his second instance, did serve his time. Did, you know, he was he was punished. He missed a year of baseball. So you could, if you were a voter, you could say, you could maybe say that that was, that was the punishment. Like, that's that's a closed book, perhaps. Yeah, you could. Or you could hold it against him even more because he did this in an era when Everyone knew what the consequences were when, you know, there was a real stigma associated with it. Like you could kind of excuse the pre-2004-ish guys and say, well, everyone was doing it. There were no consequences. Everyone was looking the other way. It was still cheating, but, you know, it was kind of just everyone did it. Everyone got away with it. And A-Rod came along years later, and this was after there was testing and you know, he was, he had this whole regime and he was skirting the testing and then he was lying about it publicly multiple times. And like baseball had already gotten its black eye and was coming back from that. And then he just, you know, gave them another black eye. So I could see people holding it against him even more. And it's not totally unfair to think that way. Yeah. All right. Uh, Anything else about A-Rod? I mean, I'll miss him. <laughs> really, I will too. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, not just because he's been an entertaining news story for various reasons for the last few years, but just in his prime, obviously, it was just an amazing player. Just uh, both sides of the ball, really great to watch. And I just kind of liked him like as much as I knew him and not any more than anyone else did. But I just sort of, I don't know, the things that, annoyed other people just sort of made me feel sympathy for him and even in his press conference you know his emotion seemed very genuine and it was just a sad thing to have this guy who is one of the greatest players of all time just kind of you know like giving thanks that he was going to get the chance to get a few more at bats it was sort of a, a pitiful way for his career to come to an end yeah I mean when I think of him like Yes, he's a PED user, you know, among the worst violators, certainly among the worst that we know of what they did. 
And yet, I, I don't know, it doesn't really diminish how I think of him as a player, maybe just because he came up so young and was so great immediately and was just seen as like an all-time talent, you know, even before he made the majors, he's a number one pick and just everyone knew that he was going to be A-Rod almost from day one, that that just sort of makes me think that, I don't know, I don't really have any basis for saying how much drugs helped him or didn't help him, but he was just so talented from such a young age and just had so many physical gifts that were clearly not a product of the PDs that I just think he would have been a an all-time player with or without the drugs. And, you know, if he was worth uh, what all the all the systems have him somewhere around a 110, 115 wins above replacement player. I mean, if I had to like assess some sort of PED penalty on that, it would be a very small fraction of his total, which, you know, I'm, again, I'm guessing it's not based on anything. For all I know, <laughs> for all I know, Brandon Ninmo could be faster than Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. But yeah, for all I know, he could have been taking stuff from high school on and he was never not on it. And, you know, I, I don't know. I have no no real basis for saying it, but I'm just in the way that I will remember him, I won't think of him as like a steroid product the way that I might say Sammy Sosa or something, you know, someone who just seemed to really have a elite career, just not only physical change, but complete change as a player and became something he'd never been before and wasn't really that great before that. I just don't put him in that class. So I think he was uh, just an amazing player. Yeah, I do too. And I agree with you that he was, you know, he was this great of a player from, you know, the moment he was, he was born, he was always going to be a great player. There's this um, New Yorker cartoon that is, was on our refrigerator until we moved and we, I just threw it out. It had been on the refrigerator through, through two moves, but third, I wasn't going to do, but anyway, it's a, uh, there's a man, he's sitting at his desk and he is just complete, like the room is just completely filled with money, like stacks of money, bags of money, gold bricks, everything. And, uh, and uh, he's sitting among this pile of money and like a genie is, is next to him. And the genie is saying, it's your third and final wish. Are you sure you just want more money? <laughs> and that is kind of how I feel. Like, I feel like that's sort of, if there is a tragedy in, in A-Rod's career, there's probably a, a few, uh, but that you, it is probably, I don't know, an important thing that we learn from A-Rod that we are insatiable um, and there is really no goal where you're ever going to reach it and say, well, I've I've done it. Uh, and A-Rod had, uh, you know, all the money in the world, all the uh, prestige. He had accomplished so much. He was the best player in baseball. Uh, and multiple times, he, yeah. multiple times, even after, you know, being busted, multiple times he decided uh, that uh, he wanted more and uh, that, you know, he would, he would <laughs> do things for that more uh, that surely at some, you know, probably in, in some part of his brain he felt guilt about and that he certainly knew was exposing him to great risk. And yet he did it anyway. And I don't know, that's to me that I, I feel, I feel really sad uh, that, that he felt that way. But I also kind of feel sad that I think probably we all feel that way. And A-Rod is a reminder uh, that uh, all of us are living lives of, uh, you know, that we are all blessed. And yet through it all, we all want more. 
uh, and we are all uh, you know somewhat morally ambiguous in pursuit of of having more. And that's sort of an unwelcome reminder, but probably an important one. So you had a bet going with Andy McCullough on A Rod's all time home run yep. total. Are you I owe, conceding? I I owe him a buck. <laughs> I I think I I actually conceded a couple years ago, and then A Rod uh, brought it back. But yep. yeah, I he didn't get there. <laughs> the other thing about A Rod, by the way, is to go from being as good as he was last year to as bad as he was this year would be a even if this were not A Rod, even if this were David Ortiz or something. This that would already be an interesting story. We could have spent a whole episode talking about how you go from a 130 OPS plus to a 62. Yeah. And how hard baseball is on the old or something like that. Yeah, I wrote a story a couple of weeks ago comparing A-Rod's age 40 season and Ortiz's age 40 season because it's just such a contrast, you know, like Ortiz getting the full-fledged farewell tour a-Rod getting released, Ortiz being the best hitter in baseball, A-Rod being unplayable. It's uh, interesting parallels in their careers and also ways in which they completely diverged. And, you know, like A-Rod's the longest tenured Yankee, and now he's just getting shown the door. And Ortiz is the longest tenured Red Sox, and he's, you know, one of the most popular players in franchise history. Dude, will the Yankees even retire A-Rod's number? I wouldn't think so. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he's got, let's see, he, so he won, he won two MVP, he won two MVP awards yep. as a Yankee. He mm-hmm. had one of the greatest postseasons ever and carried them to a World Series. Yeah. And he produced, by baseball references, measures uh, 55 wins in 13 seasons. 12. 12, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right, 12. <laughs> yeah, that's really impressive. He has the stats to be way better than most of the people in Monument Park, but I don't know, maybe uh, decades down the line when he his career is put in some sort of perspective. You never know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's it for today. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectively wild. Five listeners who have already pledged are Leland, Rob Fibbs, Brian Hamilton, Craig Minami, and Dino Champlone. Thank you. You can buy our book, The Only Rules It Has to Work, our wild experiment building a new kind of baseball team. Check out the website at theonlyruleisithastowork.com for more information. Leave us a review on Amazon and Goodreads if you like the book. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription to the Play Index at baseballreference.com using the coupon code BP. And you can email us at podcast at baseballperspectus.com or by messaging us through Patreon. You can hear me on the Ringer MLB show tomorrow. I think I'll have a couple cool guests. And Sam and I will be back after that with a listener email show. Talk to you then. Ich liebe dich, Alexander, du bringst mich durcheinander, du bleibst auf die ganze Welt, das ist was mir gefällt. In deinen grünen Augen glänzt das Misstrauen, du bist arrogant, ignorant, ich finde das charmant. Ein Mädchen, ein Mädchen wie ich, für einen jungen Jungen.